in our call to worship this morning, which is taken from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King, my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are self on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, to each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord God Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And now let's lift up our voices and praise the Lord with a few songs and starting with Holy Spirit.
here this morning, Lord God, is that you open up our hearts that we may see you. You may be seated. This time I want to invite forward Sharon Colson. As you heard in the announcements this morning, today is the Collection Sunday for Operation Christmas Child. I saw many of you carrying boxes in this morning, and over the last few weeks we've been collecting them and see a pretty good stack over there. So we're very grateful for all that you've done to make this happen, and uh, we're really grateful for that. Sharon's going to give us a little update about why this ministry is important, and how the boxes that we collect impact those that receive them. First Church New Knoxville is part of the Lima area team of Operation Christmas Child. Lima area includes the counties of Allen, Auglaize, Mercer, Shelby, Hardin, Van Wert County, and Putnam County. In 2021, 21,874 shoeboxes were packed and sent by churches and individuals within the Lima area. An additional 264 shoeboxes were built online with the Build-A-Box feature on the Operation Christmas Child website. That means that 22,138 children received shoeboxes from our area alone. And each child had the opportunity to hear about Jesus through the discipleship program, The Greatest Journey. Thank you for that. That is exciting. This year, in 2022, Operation Christmas Child expects to hit the 200 millionth shoebox milestone since starting in 1993 when the war was going on in Bosnia. And isn't it unique that Aaron brought up wars today? Because I'm going to talk a little bit about wars also. 200 million children, their families, and their communities have benefited from those shoeboxes. Each day at the processing centers, 
volunteers find out on the board and through the announcements where the shoeboxes go that are being processed that particular day. I've worked with shoeboxes that went to Benin, B-N-I-N, Africa, Senegal, Burundi, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and I've had to look some of these up on the map to find out where they are, and the many, many islands of the Philippines, among others. Especially near and dear to my heart right now is the Ukraine. You may know that I just returned from a trip to the Holy Land, and my sister Rose and I met a lovely Ukrainian native on the ship. Zina was her name. As a child, she was on the cattle car that stopped at Auschwitz. But the Nazi officer sent her and her family on to Germany, knowing that the Ukrainians were valuable as excellent workers. The cruise ship itself had been docked the past two years in Rotterdam as a refugee ship for Ukrainian refugees and the artwork from the Ukrainian Kids Club was on display. Ask anyone from the 2017 work team to Germany from First Church about their experiences with refugees. Our lives are not the same. Now, imagine the war going on in Ukraine. I know the war started on February 24th because that was my dad's birth date. On February 25th, Franklin Graham announced that 600,000 shoeboxes were heading to Ukraine. That's hope in a country facing a cold, hard winter in the middle of a war. Thank you all for your prayers, your support, and your shoeboxes in spreading God's message of salvation. Thanks, Sharon. I invite you to stay up here with me because I love to pray for you and the shoeboxes as... Uh, um, you know, one of the things that it's important about Operation Christmas Child to remember is these children receive more than just boxes of, of toys and other practical goods. Um, each box is also uh, packed with a gospel message. Um, these boxes are, are given, and in doing so, the kids are invited to hear the gospel message, respond to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And, and so they're given more than just practical needs. They're given that hope that we all need more than anything else. Um, so we also want to encourage you, if you're able to stick around after the service, there are some boxes that need to be loaded up. Like I said, it is Collection Sunday. Uh, we're just collecting them, but they do need to get to a, distribu- uh, a collection center. So if you're able to help Sharon, um, I know there's a few people that have already volunteered to help, but if you're able to stick around and help out after the service, that help would be appreciated. So let's take a moment. Let's pray for Operation Christmas Child and their ministry. Let's pray for the children that are receiving those boxes, as well as the volunteers that are helping at this time of year to process all those boxes and make sure they get where they need to go. So I invite you to pray with me at this time. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we're able to support this ministry and what a powerful and important ministry it is. Um, to Bringing two things together that are very important, meeting the practical needs of, of children in, in poverty and in uh, difficult areas around this world. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the boxes and the practical needs that they meet. Um, the, the gifts that they receive and the practical um, items that are in there, hygiene items and other things, Lord, that are, that are necessary. We just thank you, Lord, that we're able to provide for them and meet those practical needs in such a way. 
But Lord, we also thank you that with each one of these boxes, they also receive the gospel message. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ and that through these boxes, we're able to share that hope with with these children and their families all over the world. So we thank you for Operation Christmas Child and the and all those that are involved in making it happen from uh, from uh, the Samaritan's Purse at a organizational level, but all the volunteers on local levels that process, collect and process these boxes. And I just pray that you would bless them in their work and that as they do this, Lord, that, that they would keep in mind, again, the hope that we have in you, that, that these boxes are more than just practical needs being met, but it is the hope of Jesus Christ going all over the world through the discipleship program. And so we thank you for that and pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of the children that receive these boxes, that they may find, uh, be encouraged by what they receive and find hope in you and in you alone. Lord, we also want to take this opportunity to pray for other needs in our community and our nation as well. We thank you for the way that you meet us in our time of need. I was reminded yesterday, Lord, as I was uh, reading a, a book that, that, that we are, as Christians, we find our help and our hope in you alone, that you meet us in our time of need, that you meet us in our moment of desperation, and you are the one who provides what is needed. And so, Lord, I just pray that for every person in this room and everyone listening online or on the radio that is facing a challenge or doesn't know where else to turn, help them to know that they can turn to you. And so we pray for healing for those who are in need of it. And we pray also for provision, Lord, knowing that all good and perfect gifts come from you. And Lord, we also pray for our leaders and authority over us as your word calls us to do. And coming out of an election cycle, Lord, we just pray for our newly elected officials at all levels of government, Lord. We just pray that you would, that they would govern well, that they'd make decisions that are honoring and pleasing to you, Lord, that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness and that they would be satisfied. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Sharon. This time we want to invite the children to come forward for children's chat. And as they're coming forward, we have special music this morning. Um, I know it says in your bulletin that it is Benjamin Hirschfeld and Sharon Cheney. But if you notice, Clinton is, is sitting over there. So father and son duet on the piano as the children are coming forward for children's chat.
Good job, Benjamin. That was great. Okay, so I had a question for you. What do you do when you want to give a message to someone? Send it. Where do you send it? Through the mail. Okay, so you put your message in an envelope, you seal it up, you put an address on it, and your address, right, just in case you get the wrong one and it needs to return to you. And then what else do you need? A stamp. Yes, you cannot send a letter or anything in the mail without a stamp. So I have some stamps here. These ones are postcard stamps. They're specifically to go on postcards, and then these ones are for letters. There's a lot of different stamps because you can't send anything without one of these things on there, right? Um, So Jesus had a pretty important message to deliver, didn't he? Do you guys remember what that was? God. God's love, yes. And did they have a post office back then? No. So how did they send messages? They wrote letters and gave them to people, and those people had to run to the next town and the next town and the next town and go and deliver that whole message. If you were the runner, that would be kind of tiring, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Thankfully, we have the mail today, right? Um, But Jesus' message was, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so that message that Jesus came to deliver, that he was the Savior, that he had come to save everyone, was, is just as important today as it was back then, right? And there's a lot of people that still need to hear the good news of Jesus, right? So how is that message supposed to be delivered? How do we share the message of Jesus? We tell other people, yes. You know, Jesus had called his disciples back then to share and deliver the good news, right? And now, who are his disciples? Us. Us. Yeah, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And so we're kind of like these stamps. And we go around, and we're supposed to be sharing the good news of Jesus, that God loves us, that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, and that if we believe in him, we'll have life, an eternal life with him forever. And so, you know, some people might be called to become missionaries and take that message to a far, far away land. Some people might just tell their neighbors, and that's okay too. Um, You might just tell some of your friends, and that's awesome. But the important thing is, is that we tell people, because that's our job. We are supposed to be the messengers of this good news. So is there someone in your life that you can think of that you could share the good news of Jesus with today? Anybody got Yeah? Okay, so I want you this week to think about who you can share God's love with, okay? It could be a friend, it could be someone at home, it could be an aunt or uncle, you know, the holidays are coming. You might know someone in your family that needs to hear about Jesus' love. Um, so I want you to think about that and pray about it, and, and when that opportunity comes, I want you to share the good news of Jesus' love, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the task of delivering the most important message in the world. Help us to be faithful to carry out that message to those who need to hear it. Lord, I thank you for these children, and I ask that you would help them to be bold in sharing your love and your message to the people around them. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, Pastor Tori, for that children's chat message. As the choir comes forward, uh, it is time to collect our offering this morning. If you notice in your bulletin, the offering is going to support Clint Mayhem this morning. Clint works with Athletes in Action, and that's a name you might recognize, even a face you might recognize. He has some connections here 
uh, several years ago, um, I believe it was, uh, was it the baseball team, I believe, he brought here to visit New Knoxville and minister in the area, and we were able to make some connections that way. So we're grateful that our offering this morning is able to support Clint Mahan and his ministry and ath- with athletes in action. And so if you're able to give this morning, uh, the deacons are going to come around in just a moment. I invite you to give as you feel led to give today. Um, and just pray that as we give this morning, let's also be praying for Clint and his ministry with Athletes in Action. So I want to take this time to invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering.
may be seated. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 22 through 27. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysus, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Maria. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this time that we have to open your word together. As always, Lord, it is a blessing that we have an opportunity to do this. Um, just pray that we would not take it for granted, Lord, and that as we read your word and, and study it now, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you give me words to speak, that what I say may be honoring and pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So it's important to take a moment and reflect on kind of how we got here today and, and how we are, uh, where we are in the book of Acts. Um, what, you, what we just heard read is kind of the closing few verses of one of Paul's defenses. Uh, he was arrested recently um, when he went to Jerusalem. And, and like any good TV show or any good movie, right, there's a lot of drama in those courtroom scenes, isn't there, right? Whether it's Law and Order or A Few Good Men, right, there's always that climax of the show is in that courtroom scene as the lawyers are arguing and the, the witnesses are making their final um, uh, testimony. And that's essentially what we have going on here in the book of Acts. From Chapters about the end of chapter 21 through chapter 26, there are five different instances of Paul pleading his case before rulers of some sort. Paul had returned to Jerusalem. If you recall last week when we looked at Acts chapter 20, Paul had set his sight on returning to Jerusalem, knowing that when he returned there, it was likely that he would be arrested. But Paul went anyways, and as he was there, Worshipping in the temple, he was accused of defiling the temple and seized by the religious leaders, which caused a riot, of course. They were trying to get rid of Paul before anything else interrupted them. Roman soldiers intervened and arrested Paul. And rather than leave himself at the mercy of the crowd, Paul claimed his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Caesar. And so Acts 22 through 26 is this ongoing progression of Paul defending himself before different groups. There's the speech to the crowd at the temple. He speaks before the Sanhedrin, and then he speaks before three different Roman rulers, uh, Fest, um, Felix, Festus, and then also Agrippa. And over and over again, Paul not only defends himself, but finds opportunities to share the gospel you see, that's what I want us to, to focus on here for just a moment. Paul, in the midst of his trouble, in the midst of his literal trials, 
as he was arrested and accused of wrongdoing. In the midst of his literal trials, Paul was willing to take that opportunity to share the gospel. We've been talking about active churches this fall, what it means for us to be an active church, and we've looked at different facets of that. And tonight, today, I want to remind you that active churches have a message to share with the world. And they will have opportunities to share the gospel, even with unbelievers. It's a message that transforms individuals in the culture. And it's a message that is necessary, although it is inconvenient. And so let's take a look at each one of those in turn. First, we'll, we see that a church with a message will be given opportunities to share the gospel. As I just stated, Paul here is, is constantly getting opportunities to share his faith with different groups of people because of the circumstances he found himself in. In Acts 22 through 26, there's kind of this progressive move away from Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders at the temple all the way to Rome and the Roman leaders and the political leaders that Paul interacted with. Really, these chapters are, in essence, kind of a fulfillment of what we see earlier on in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, in his commission to the disciples, says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Paul, by virtue of his arrest and his appeal to Caesar, is literally bringing the gospel with him to the ends of the earth, to the very center of the known world in the Roman Empire. And it's also a fulfillment of the commission that Jesus gave Paul specifically in Acts chapter 9 after he encounters Jesus on the Damascus road. Jesus says that Paul will be his witness to the Gentiles and to their kings. And so here again, Paul is living out that calling in his life. But we have to be honest with ourselves, that calling isn't just for Paul, right? Paul's not the only one that's been commissioned to share the gospel, Every single Christ follower, every person that's put their faith in Jesus has been given that same commission. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. Right? We've all been given that commission. We've all been told to go and make disciples. In essence, we are ambassadors for Christ in the world, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are all ambassadors for Christ. In other words, it's our calling to represent him through our words and through our actions. When you commit your life to following Jesus, you will be given opportunities to share the gospel. The question is, what are you going to do with those opportunities you've been given? Parents have opportunities to share the gospel with their children. You have opportunities to be a, a light in your workplace whatever your job may be, in your communities, in your neighborhood, at the gas station, at the grocery store. We have opportunities to share the gospel. The question is, what are we going to do with those opportunities? Remember when I was younger, I, one of my, I think my first job ever was working at a Wendy's. Um, I've also worked at Red Lobster. And anybody that's spent time working in the food service industry knows that there are some difficult times and difficult seasons, right, to work. And sometimes it's difficult to work with people. Uh, I remember one shift at Wendy's when I was younger, I'd often work like the closing shift. So we got some really interesting food orders coming through the drive-thru at 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock at night. Um, I kid you not, somebody once asked if we could put onions in a Frosty, and I said, no, there is no way that we are doing that. 
Um, but very, there were some very weird, very strange, very difficult moments. Any, and like I said, anybody that's worked in the food industry knows that during those meal rushes, things can get hectic, right? Things can get crazy. And it can be very um, frustrating and very hard uh, um, during those shifts. And I remember one particularly difficult one at Wendy's, and everything seemed to be going wrong. Um, and I, I think I was flipping burgers that day at the grill. And every, everybody was just mad and angry. And for whatever reason, I was just going with the flow, right? I just, I apparently was maintained a positive attitude because I remember one of the person working next to me looked over and said, how can you be smiling right now? <laughs> right? Like what are, what is going on? Right. And I remember in that moment thinking, you know, why am I, you know, happy or joyful in the midst of all of this? And in the back of my mind, I knew that was an opportunity to talk about because you know, because my faith in Christ, you know, it doesn't matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you're in, you can have joy, you can find meaning and purpose in him. And I'd love to stand here and say that I did that. Right. I love to say that I took that moment standing over a grill at Wendy's to share the gospel with my coworker. And I was not sure what that other person would think of me. See, no matter where you are, whether you're in church or whether you're a pastor or whether you're flipping burgers at Wendy's, there are going to be opportunities to share the gospel. The question is, what are you going to do with those opportunities you've been given? There's three things I want to encourage you with. First is, uh, briefly, just want to cover these. When we have those opportunities, we need to be ready. First Peter 3 reminds us that, we, that in verse 15, it says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? We need to be ready. We need to be willing and ready to give an answer to the hope we have because you never know when those opportunities are going to arise. So we need to be ready to share that hope. We need to be bold. We need to be willing to put ourselves out of our comfort zone, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, even when it's awkward and uncomfortable, even when we're not sure how the other person is going to respond. Because it's not about us. um, It's not about winning a popularity contest, right? It's not about, it's not about the convincing that other person ourselves, right? But it's about being faithful to the call that Jesus has placed in our lives. And in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus reminds his disciples, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. We need to be bold and be willing to put our, put our hope in Christ and what he thinks of us rather than what others might say. So we need to be ready and we need to be bold and we need to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. You may not feel qualified to share the gospel, right? You may not feel ready or know what words to say. And in those moments, we need to learn to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaking to his disciples, and, and, and again, thinking of, of Paul before the courts, this situation certainly applied to him. Jesus says in Luke 12, When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Right? Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. You may feel inadequate. You may not sh- be sure what to say. But in those moments, if you're willing to share, if you're trusting the Lord, He will provide the words to say. It's all about 
being willing to share your testimony and being willing to point people towards the gospel. I have to ask you guys, you know, how many of you are willing to or able to articulate the truth of the gospel? If I were to throw a pop quiz at you right now, how many of you could, could, could summarize the gospel in a, in a sentence or two? may not be easy, right? You may never have thought about that before, but it's important that we're able to do that. And I want to point you to two verses that, that summarize it so well for us. First Corinthians 15, three and four. He says, right, I re- what I received, I pass on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, right? Paul says that is the core of the gospel message. That is of first importance that Christ died He was buried and he rose again, all according to the scriptures. So we want to be able to articulate that, but then we also need to be willing to share our own testimony, our own witness to how Christ has impacted our own lives. Again, look at the testimony of Paul twice in these five speeches in Acts 22 and again in Acts 26. As he's standing before his accusers, he recounts his experience of encountering Jesus on the Damascus road. So if you were to read the book of Acts from beginning to end, you actually read that story three times, once when it actually happens to Paul, and then two more times as he shares that story with others. First with the crowd at the temple, and then again before King Agrippa. Paul was willing to share not only the the truth of the gospel, but how it impacted him directly. You see, people can argue theology all day long, but it's very difficult to argue with a changed life. And so we're given opportunities to share the gospel. The second thing we must, we recognize here is that all transformation, both individual transformation and cultural transformation begins with faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul talks to Felix about righteousness and self-control and the future judgment, but he does so in context of what it means to have faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, we can talk about holiness all day long. We talk about right behavior and wrong behavior. But if we don't do it in the context of faith in Jesus, we're missing the point. All transformation, both individual and cultural, begins with the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And when we remember that, it helps us to avoid the extremes of legalism and antinomianism. Legalism is, is morality without faith in Jesus. The idea that that following the rules or doing good things is a way that we can please God and earn his favor. Antinomianism, or in other words, anti-law, is the exact opposite of that. It's a complete disregard for the rules altogether. That the law doesn't matter because Jesus is just going to forgive us anyways. Right? You see how those two extremes can both be dangerous in our conversations with, with people about the gospel? We don't want to present this idea of legalism because obedience cannot save. Obedience to the law cannot save us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, if we talk about righteousness and self-control in the future ju- judgment apart from faith in Christ, we're just presenting legalism. And that's a gospel that cannot save people. But we also must understand that genuine faith in Christ does lead to obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. 
So it's not that the law doesn't matter. It's that the law only makes sense in context of faith in Christ and a relationship with him. And so when we understand that, it helps us avoid the extremes of legalism and antinomianism. And faith in Jesus does lead to a transformed life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us that that we who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into into His image with ever-increasing glory. In other words, the goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus. And it begins with faith in Him, but it does impact how we live. Paul says, talks about three things here with Festus. He talks about righteousness, which is doing the right thing. In other words, through faith in Christ, we learn to do what is right. Anytime I can quote from 3 John, I'm going to take the opportunity to do that. 3 John 11 says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. In other words, to follow Christ means to strive to do the right thing in response to what Christ has done for us. The second thing he says here is self-control. In other words, we want to do the right thing, but we also want to avoid the wrong thing. We want to avoid sin. Self-control is one of the fruits of the, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And self-control is gained through reliance on God and His Word. All right, we, can't, we can't muster up enough self-control to, to overcome temptation on our own. We need to trust God and trust His Word in order to do that. And probably the, the best example we have in Scripture is from Jesus Himself in the wilderness. After he was baptized, he's sent into the wilderness by the Spirit. And while he's there, he's tempted by the devil three times. And in each and every one of those situations, Jesus, the very Son of God, responds by quoting Scripture. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, relied on the Word of God, relied on Scripture in order to overcome temptation. How much more do we need it? Almost in Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We grow in our self-control as we learn to rely on God more and we hide his word in our hearts. And the third thing Paul talks about then is the last judgment, the judgment that is to come. Because what we believe about the future impacts how we live now. As Christians, we believe Jesus will return. He will come again. Now, we don't know how. We don't know all the details. We don't know when exactly, but we do know for sure that he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will judge the living and the dead, as the Apostles' Creed teaches us. We believe that human history is moving toward a very specific end, that Jesus will return to establish his kingdom. And when he returns, those who by faith have been united with Christ will receive eternal life, and those who are not united in him to eternal damnation. And in practically every instance that the New Testament talks about the return of Christ, it's always to encourage righteous and holy living in the present. Take, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, right? Those chapters are, are often go-to passages thinking of the return of Christ. It talks about him returning in the, in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of a trumpet, right? And after Paul talks about those things, he concludes it by saying, therefore, right, um, He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as, in fact, you're already doing. So in other words, we we think about the last judgment in order to encourage us and equip us to live holy and righteous and self-controlled lives now. So the message we have is 
we, we need to be prepared to share that message. It's a message that leads to transformation of individuals and cultures. And finally, I want to share with you that it's a message that is inconvenient but necessary. As we share the gospel through our words and through our actions, it's going to rub people the wrong way. It's exactly what happened when Paul shared the impact of faith in Christ with Felix. Felix heard enough and he was angry and stopped the conversation. By all accounts, Felix was not a good or righteous person. According to ancient historians, he was a brutal and incompetent political leader. And this Drusilla was his third, third wife. See, the gospel is going to rub some people the wrong way. Let's be honest, it rubs all of us the wrong way, doesn't it? Because there's always going to be something, right, that the gospel reveals in us that needs to be changed, right? It's going to expose the sin and the mistakes in our lives, not to point a finger at us, but as a way to, for us to repent and turn to the Lord. But the gospel is always going to be inconvenient. It's always going to upset people. There are biblical truths, right, biblical topics that are not popular, I already mentioned the reality of the last judgment in heaven and hell. That doesn't fly so well in our world today. Other truths that are not popular, that sex is the gift designed by God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. That all human life from conception until natural death have tremendous value and are worthy of honor, dignity, and respect. That greed and economic exploitation are antithetical to the gospel. That the Bible instructs us to care for orphans, widows, the poor, and foreigners. In other words, we must care for the most vulnerable people in our society. Now, this may not be popular, but notice how these issues I listed don't neatly fit into political categories as we understand them today. The gospel critiques commonly held assumptions on both sides of the aisle. The gospel and all its implications for our life should transform us as individuals as well as a society. But it's certainly not going to be convenient. People want to ignore the gospel until they're ready to hear more. That's what Felix did. But the reality is people won't always be ready on their own or won't be ever be ready on their own. Some people just never get around to it. One of the biggest hindrances to the gospel is the convenience of modern life. Let me ask you, when was the last time you truly had to depend on the Lord for your daily bread? To be delivered from evil, right? We are so comfortable that we often, we often don't understand what it means to truly trust God in that way. To truly depend on the Lord in that way. And unfortunately, many people do not give God the time of day until personal tragedy strikes or the world is turned upside down. I will say it's often uncomfortable and awkward to share the gospel with people. Just think about my story of flipping burgers at Wendy's, right? You never know when that time's going to come, and you're never going to know exactly what you need to say. But we need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and speak. We can't, we're not responsible for how the other person is going to respond. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But we need to be willing to share what God has placed on our hearts. In closing, I want to read some lyrics from a song many years ago by Casting Crowns called Here I Go Again. And, and as I read these lyrics, I want you to think about the conversations and opportunities you've had and you've missed in the past. This song is a story of, of an individual 
and he's, and he's wanting to share the gospel with his friend, but he just never knows the right words to speak and always ends up missing the opportunity. He says, Father, hear my prayer. I need the perfect words, words that he will hear and know they're straight from you. I don't know what to say. I only know it hurts to see my only friend slowly fade away. So maybe this time I'll speak the words of life with your fire in my eyes. But that old familiar fear is tearing at my words. What am I so afraid of? Because here I go again. Talking about the rain and mulling over things that won't live past today. And as I dance around the truth, time is not his friend. This might be my last chance to tell him that you love him. But here I go again. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We, God has given us a message to share. He's given us opportunities to share that message. We need to be willing to take that opportunity and be bold, be ready, be willing to speak the truth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the impact that it has on our lives. We thank you that you have given us a message to share with the world, a message that of hope, of encouragement, of joy everlasting. Yes, of righteousness and self-control in the future judgment, judgment, but of the hope we have in you. Help us, Lord, to not be afraid to speak that message boldly. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service this morning, I invite you to stand with us and sing our final praise song, Build Your Kingdom Here.